When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the first Tech Sideline podcast in December as we get ready to wrap up 2018. We're originating from the TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. I'm your proud host, Evan Hughes. We've got our TSL founder, Will Stewart, with us, as well as the managing editor of TSL, Chris Coleman. Gentlemen, it is cold outside, it is holiday season time, it is still crossover season between football and men's basketball. What a great time of the year. Yeah, we're supposed to get uh, like a foot of snow Saturday, right? Awesome. Great. Which is not good for the exam schedule. This is why they call it Bleaksburg. It's just, it's just not good for me because that means i got to go out and shovel my driveway. Well, you know, I remember when I was a senior in high school, it snowed or sleeted for like two straight weeks. And we couldn't go to school, and all of our exams got canceled. That happened to me twice. Yeah, so I was able to actually pass pre-calculus because I didn't have to take the final exam. So it's the best feeling in the world. It happened to me in high school. You're sitting around, you get the call, and it's like exams are canceled, and you're going crazy. And so, But that's not going to happen in college because they will find a way to make you take your final exam. Well, you exams. can just walk to class. Yeah. Like, like I used to walk to class, you know, uphill both ways, blah, 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 10 degrees on the drill field, 30-mile-an-hour winds, all that and stuff. And I tell you what, though, walking across the drill field with wind, it is not fun. I get the, I get the feeling that we've had this discussion on the podcast before, and I've told the story about uh, – one weekend when I was a sophomore and it got down to 15 below one weekend. And yes, we had class on Monday and it warmed up to five degrees. <laughs> and I was living in Newman, which is across the drill field mm-hmm. from where all the classes were. And, and I remember, and I did this myself, I remember people getting to the edge of the drill field and turning around and walking backwards across the drill field because the wind was blowing in your face. And I know I've told that story before on the podcast. Well, uh, it is cold. We hope all of our viewers that are watching on Facebook Live, our listeners here on SoundCloud, are staying warm. We've got a great podcast for you on Tech Sideline today. Here is what you can expect. A full breakdown of the Marshall when the Hokies are going bowling, and it is so nice to say the Hokies are going to their 26th consecutive bowl. We'll talk about how they got it done against the Thundering Herd of Marshall on Saturday. We'll talk about their upcoming bowl opponent, a rematch of the Military Bowl from a couple of years ago against a much better Cincinnati team than it was in 2015. Plus, we'll talk some men's hoops. The Hokies, 15th in the country, wins over Central Connecticut State and VMI in the past week. It's all coming up on the Tech Sideline Podcast, which is proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free. Their number, 1-800-680-7031. That's 1-800-680-7031. Or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. So, Chris, who was that quarterback that Cincinnati had when, when we played him at FedEx? Munchie? Munchie Legault. Legault? Yeah. Munchie Legault? Yeah. 
Can we call this the second installment of the Munchie Lego oh, Bowl? Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, he beat us in FedEx Field. Beat us in FedEx. And, and, the, and then by field. the end of the year, he was their backup because he wasn't any good. Right. Yeah. Um, now, has Tech played Cincinnati? Was was it in the Military uh, Bowl? Uh, no. Tech played Cincinnati in the Military Bowl, but that was with not – I mean, Munchie had been their quarterback two years earlier than that. Was that the game was. at FedEx Field? Uh, yeah, that was a game at FedEx Field. Yeah. In the military bowl, I think it was – was it Gunnar Keel? Gunnar Keel. Yeah. That's 100%. Yeah. Good and, memory. Uh, and, and Tech knocked him out of the game. Actually, I think Tech knocked their their top two quarterbacks out of the game. They heard their third string and got third string guy in there at one point. And uh, whatever happened to Gunnar? I mean, how, how could you not remember a name like Gunnar? That's a great na- game for, a name for a quarterback, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's almost as good as Buckshot Calvert at Liberty. <laughs> Here's what I'll do. We'll look up Gunnar Keel. We'll get to that in a little bit because we've got a lot to talk about with Cincinnati. No, we're good. But let's talk about Virginia Tech coming up with a clutch win, backs against the walls, and they find a way to get it done relatively easily against an eight-win Marshall team. 41-20 the final score. It was a weird weather day in Lane Stadium. It's only the second time Virginia Tech has had a home game in December. At Lane, not as many fans in the stands. However, the fans that were there were very loud. i got to give the credit where credit is due. The student showed up, and the team showed up to get the win. And when you look back on that game, though, and obviously the first thought is they get to a bowl, but when you look at that Marshall game, Chris, can you make the argument that that is one of the more complete games Virginia Tech has played this year? You can certainly make that argument. Uh, you know, Marshall, you know, obviously they didn't play the toughest schedule in the world, but but they're a solid football team. Uh, with a defense that had played well. So I I think it was a complete game, as complete a game as Virginia Tech has played this year, really, uh, with the exception of probably Florida State. Um, So I was pleased with it. It was was definitely an interesting atmosphere. It was like like playing someone else in the spring game. That's how I would describe the atmosphere, really. It was a little bit louder. But, you know, Will and I were were in an indoor club seat. Yeah, so, so we were kind of isolated. We, we from were the, isolated. I was in a box as well, so I don't oh, know yeah. what it was like. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it was so much different than the last December home game in Lane Stadium, oh, which was my freshman year of college. 2001 Miami against uh, On December 1st, 2001 Miami. And that game was one of the best games in Lane Stadium history. And you, remember, you remember the weather that day was fantastic. I wore shorts. It was like in the 70s. Yeah, because I remember all the, talk, all the talk at the beginning of the season was, oh, they're sending Miami to Lane Stadium in, in December. In, in December. God. This is going to be awesome. No, it was a beautiful day. I remember one of Frank Beamer's quotes, and I don't know how I remember this. He was like, pray for snow and let's go. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it did not snow. I think Miami brought their South Florida weather with them. And uh, but it was nonetheless it was loud, great man. And that that was before they they reseeded uh, Lane Stadium and before they built the South End Zone. Actually, the South End Zone was under construction at the time, so nobody was sitting in the South End Zone at all. Yeah. So I would guess attendance for that game. I think it was upper forties. I, th- I think. Uh, well, I think the official capacity that year was like fifty one thousand. Fifty one thousand. Yeah, yeah, thereabouts. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was about fifty one thousand in Lane Stadium, and but it was louder than Lane Stadium would be with sixty five thousand these days. Now the official attendance for this game on HokieSports dot com says thirty one thousand three hundred six. Uh, unofficial attendance twenty thousand. But uh, again, twenty five thousand. But uh, I, but I will say again, if we if we want to talk about the fans and the atmosphere first. Again, when when they did the Let's Go Hokies and then Enter Sandman, I actually felt like the fans that were there, everybody was pretty loud. Will wrote leading up to the game, he was like, I don't know what it's going to be like as far as numbers, but I feel like the fans who are there are going to be our most hardcore fans. And I think that was pretty accurate because I think the ones who were there 
And so even up in the indoor club, when it was the let's go time before Inner Sandman, the people in the indoor, indoor club were yelling, let's go. Um, I've, I've been in an indoor club for a game before. It's been a while, and there weren't, weren't many people there, and it was kind of boring. But this was uh, there were a fair amount of people there, and it, it's, uh, they were cheering and stuff. They weren't just sitting on their hands watching the game. I talked to so many people up there that said, oh, this is our first time in the indoor club seats. So they basically did what Will and I did. I said, wow, we have a chance to get indoor club seats for a game for $50. Uh, We're going to jump on that. And these are people – I talked to one woman. She's normally in Section 3, and now she's in the indoor club seats. And what I don't think Tech did a good job of advertising was uh, the food was free. In the club seats, the food was free. So $50 indoor club seats – yeah, so, so we go we go up in the club, and I walked up to where they serve the food, and I said, I heard the food is complimentary. And she said, yeah, there's a list over there. And I thought, okay, there's a list. It's going to be the crap food. I go over there, and it's it's barbecue sandwiches, mm-hmm. hot dogs, hamburgers. And I'm going, well, all right. How much is the candy? And she said, well, the candies, you got to pay for the candy, which I thought was kind of odd. Well, and uh, actually, the people who run that table over there, it's actually the Virginia Tech, I believe, cycling team mm-hmm. that does all the work behind the scenes. there. So they work, I believe, every home game in those suites up there and that's a large way of uh, they make their money is through the proceeds there huh so is that food complimentary for every game or was it just for this game any idea i actually think it's for every game like there's a list through the third quarter of food that is uh, a complimentary so yeah. if you're in those uh in those suites it is definitely a nice perk but you pay for the beers the beers are eight bucks they're pretty pricey which is fine that's the way it should be and you know you look at this game though it was foggy it was cold. It was extremely foggy in the beginning of the game, and it cleared up towards the end. But Virginia Tech, despite the weather, despite how many fans were in the stands, despite the fact that Marshall traveled extremely well to that game, Virginia Tech played one of their best games of the year. Uh, you mispronounced Ryan Willis. <laughs> and, and that was my next trade of thought. Ryan Willis had arguably his guess, his best game as a Hokie. Yeah, so he did. He just did things Saturday and, and when I went back and watched the film, um, you know, guys have a look to him when they're in a zone. You know, he was, first of all, he was running the read pass option very well. That's where you stick the ball in the belly of the running back. You read the coverage. You look at what the linebackers and safeties are doing. And if they're, if they're pulling up to defend the run, then you pull the ball out and hit the wide receiver. And you saw that uh, very, very early pass to Chris. Was it, was it Turner or Grimsley? I think that was a touchdown, actually. The touchdown was to Grimsley on the RPO. Over the off middle. an RPO, yeah. If you go back and watch that, Willis puts the ball in. It's probably people's. He puts it in his, in his stomach and watch the linebackers and the safeties. Even after Willis pulls it out and throws a pass, there's a safety, excuse me, a linebacker that's being blocked by Zachariah Hoyt, and he's doing everything he can to get through Hoyt and go over and tackle a running back that doesn't even have the ball. Right. So Willis was, was in a zone with that stuff, doing a really good job of it. And he, you know, every, everybody says, and this is true watching the game, that he, his pocket presence was much better. He stepped up and kept his eyes downfield. And, and it, what I'm saying about him being a rhythm, if you watch him, he's just, he's just very fluid, stepping up, not really setting his feet, and just going zing and right on target. And you could tell he was just feeling it. Yeah, I, I think Willis played great. Don't get me wrong. I want to make a different comment on RPO plays in general. Right. And uh, honestly, I, I don't think they're fair to defenses because officials inconsistently call offensive linemen being downfield. I mean, the reason that linebacker was trying to fight through Zachariah Hoyt is because Hoyt was four yards downfield. Of course you think it's going to be a running play when the offensive lineman is four yards downfield. Uh, now you, I go back to the Notre Dame game. 
when they flagged Darisaw for being too far downfield, and honestly, I, I don't think they should have thrown the flag because he was all the, all the way on the other side of the play on that on that reverse pass, and he was maybe a half a yard past yeah, where he was yeah. allowed to be. If I'm an official, I'm keeping that in my pocket. But if I'm an official, I throw a flag on Zach Hoyt on the RPO on Saturday because I thought he was too far downfield, and I don't think that's fair to the defense if an offensive lineman can get four or five yards downfield. And, uh, I mean, because what are you supposed to do if you're a linebacker in that scenario? So I think the, I think there needs to be a focus in the offseason. Officials really have to watch for offensive linemen getting too far downfield on RPOs and things like that because I think it really gives offenses an, an advantage. You mentioned Ryan Willis keeping his eyes downfield, and we've heard all year, and we've seen it on tape, how strong of an arm that Ryan Willis has. Yeah. And that touchdown he had to Trey Turner where he stepped up in the pocket, I thought was one of his best throws of the year. Yeah, to me, I think where he made the most improvements in this game was with his pocket presence and keeping his eyes downfield. Uh, you know, when earlier in the year you would have seen him, you know, step up in the pocket and bell out and run and just not, just not see the field clearly. But he kept his eyes downfield. He was very calm. He didn't he didn't bail out, and he did it twice. You know, once on the throw to Trey Turner for the touchdown, and once to Stephen Peoples for the touchdown. Uh, he now he, he had actually job. on the on the touchdown pass to Stephen Peoples, Willis had tucked the ball. He had it here and was running, and at the last second he saw Peoples and very nice job yeah. to pull it out. Yeah, he and really did. hit him. Let's go back to the beginning part of this game too, because I think it was huge to set a tone defensively early in this game and Virginia Tech on the first play comes up with a huge fumble recovery and you knew that Marshall's quarterback the red shirt he was going he's, he's not a great he's not as great of a runner as Bryce Perkins or a couple of uh, Nikosi Perry of Miami more of a pocket passer and Virginia Tech to force that fumble and get a field goal out of that to begin the game you could just tell that the thought that Virginia Tech would not be as fired up for this game because they put so much into the UVA game. That was completely out of the equation. Yeah, yeah that's very true. And that, that was another thing that I said I didn't know what it would be like in this game. How much had they left out there on the field for UVA? And the answer is they were they were ready to go. It was an impressive start. And that was Ricky Walker that forced that fumble, right? Yes, it was. And Garbett picked it up? Is Garbett right? picked it up. Yeah. Uh, I think two points on that play. I think Ricky Walker – if he's not 100%, he's closer to 100%. Yeah. Yep. I mean, there's a big difference in Ricky Walker the last three games and Ricky Walker of mid-October. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was disappointed earlier this year, and I probably said this on the podcast before, I was disappointed that Tech played him against William & Mary after he had hurt his ankle against Florida State. They did not need him to beat William & Mary. Sit him. If he's not 100%, sit him against William & Mary. Let him get healthy for the rest of the season. And, but they played him, and he got hurt again. And I think that really limited him until late in the season. And now we're starting to see him play at the level he's capable of playing. And he should be even healthier for the bowl game. So that, that's good for Tech's defense. And uh, Taiwan Garbutt picks up that fumble. And, you know, there's been talk this year. And I, and I get it. it it's, it's human nature to nitpick when, when you're losing. And to try to look at every sideline mannerism and, and well, just nitpick, like I said. Yeah. And, uh, Garbutt picks up that fumble, runs to the sideline, and 
just jumps up into Justin Fuente's arms and basically tackles him. So that, that, if you go back and look at the replay, there's a guy in a stocking cap. In a gray, and, in a gray, in a gray cap, stocking cap. that's Fuente. That's Fuente. And Garbutt comes over there and just basically tackles him. And all the nitpicking earlier this year was that uh, Fuente doesn't get along with his players and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and that's too easy to say. on the sideline. Right, and, right. And, and too stoic on the sideline. And, and here you go. I mean, now when something good happens, I would like to nitpick in the other direction. Here's a redshirt freshman recruited by Justin Fuente who runs to Fuente immediately on the sideline after a big play and celebrates with it. Okay, so let's nitpick in the other direction here too when something good happens. And I have to say that you could tell the energy from the entire team early on was fired up. Even Fuente, you know, and he, and he has said this before, that he picks his moments sure. on the sidelines to get really fired up and then sometimes to back off. And he was really pumped up and animated early in that game. And I think that fed off the players, which fed off the game, which fed off the crowd, and it, it resulted in a great chain reaction for Virginia Tech. Yeah, the, uh, the last two weeks, the team in general has been more engaged on the sidelines, you know, and, and it's not just because they were winning. You know, I think it's just – and I can't – I don't know why this happened, you know, but I think that's what I've been wanting to see. And I'm one of the people that's – I've been guilty of nitpicking a little bit, you know, but you do that when you lose four games in a row and your defense is setting all kinds of historical, historically bad precedents. You start looking for every little thing, you know. So. Yeah, and I remember – and people get frustrated – you know, when things are going poorly. I remember being at the 2005 ACC championship game and Nick Schmidt shanked a punt. And Nick Schmidt tries to walk off the field on like the 20-yard line to avoid Beamer. And Beamer <laughs> runs all the way from the 50-yard line to the 20-yard line so he could yell at Nick Schmidt. I mean, he just completely flipped his lid on Nick Schmidt. It's not like Nick Schmidt meant to shank the punt. You know, going and yelling at your punter isn't going to do any good. The punt's already gone 20 the punt's yards. Already it's gone, not going to yeah, make right. it go It's not going to make any difference. It's not going to make him punt the ball better the next time either, most likely. But that was a game where Virginia Tech was playing terrible against the Florida State right. team that, quite frankly, wasn't, wasn't very, good. very good. And, you know, Frank got frustrated and handled it poorly on the sideline. So when things are going bad, yeah, things aren't going to look particularly good on the sideline. The body language is going to be poor. People are going to do things that they regret. That's just the way it is. And even in the third quarter, I mean, you're looking over the sidelines and guys are all jumping up and down together to the music that's playing. And and here's what I want to say. I feel like right now everybody in Hokie Nation is on a high right now, right? I mean, the last two games have been awesome. And Virginia Tech's going bowling. They're keeping now officially with no asterisk next to it, the longest bowl streak in the country. And I think if you would have asked Hokie Nation before the season, if if Virginia Tech went 6-6, six and six, they would consider that a disappointment. But I think if you look at it right now, mm-hmm. I think that so many are just so proud of the fact that this team handled so much adversity with so much youth, so much injuries. I don't think fans are really that concerned about the 6-6. Six and six. They're so pumped up about this I, right now. Is that fair? I, I was thinking about this last night. Um, if somebody gave me the option, they said, okay, Chris, you have two options. You can take things as they are now and how they went. Or you can go back in time and replay the entire season in the hopes of having a better record. I would not go back in time and replay the season knowing what I know now. I do not want to replay that UVA game because I think they're better than us. I do not want to replay that UNC game because we were very fortunate that they fumbled on the one-yard line. Uh, I would take this 6-6 six and six, knowing what I know now, knowing the amount of injuries Tech had, knowing how young they are. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a success. As I wrote in my Sunday column, I'm not going to go light up a cigar in celebration of a 6-6 six and six record, but I think in hindsight that we are a 6-6 six and six football team. That's who we are. <laughs> uh, I don't think we should have lost to, to 
Old Dominion. So, yeah, you can say, oh, yeah, they should have gone 7-5 and five maybe. But at the same time, I don't think we should have beat UVA, quite frankly. Uh, I mean, just I, I, I think we're very fortunate that they fumbled that football and that they missed that wide-open touchdown in the first half. And that so, UNT fumbles on the one-yard Right, line. so I think it evens out. Uh, in the end, really. So I think we are a six and six football team. I think we are who we are. So I wouldn't replay the season. I'm not going to say I'm happy with how it went, but I'm happy with how they responded to adversity at the end of the season. Well, what would you do if you if you got to ask the two options? What would you take? Oh, I'm with him totally. Um, I don't think the outcome of the Florida State game would be any different. I don't either. Um, they were, they just weren't ready, and they're they went five and seven. They're still not a good football team. Now, they beat Boston College, which is something that Virginia Tech can't claim. But I just don't see that game going any differently. I don't know that I see any of the games going any differently in a good way. Well, maybe Old Dominion. Well, uh, you know, and the, so I was thinking about this when you were talking about Ricky Walker. Ricky gets hurt against Florida State. He re-injures himself against William & Mary. Um, you go back and – Nobody's going to go back and watch that ODU game, but, you know, <laughs> Trayvon Hill was the only one who played well on the defensive line in the ODU game. What if Ricky Walker's healthier and plays better and Virginia Tech wins the ODU game instead of losing it? Trayvon Hill doesn't flip out, doesn't get kicked off the team. You know, you can draw a line, and that line actually might go all the way back to the ECU game that got canceled. What if Virginia Tech plays that game and they win it and – they keep the rhythm of playing every week instead of getting around to sitting to get getting to sit around and, and read their press clippings. You just so here, here's here's something I, w- I want to pose, and I think we might have touched on this briefly, but I want to go into a greater discussion. If Virginia Tech again with the scenarios, if they play East Carolina, I want everybody to remember one thing: that Virginia Tech had not had a normal week in season yet because of the way the schedule worked out. They played on Labor Day. On a Monday night against Florida State, then played Saturday at 3.45 was the kick against William & Mary. So they were short a day. And then they play, it would have been East Carolina. That would have been their first full week. Then they play Old Dominion, and everybody's thinking that that extra quote-unquote bye week will do them well, and it's going to get Ricky Walker healthy (laughs) and others. And it didn't quite turn out that way. So if Virginia Tech plays East Carolina, what would the final record of Virginia Tech football be right now if we're doing this podcast? If they play and if they win, what would Virginia Tech be sitting at? Would they be six and six? Would they be five and seven? Would they be seven and five or maybe even eight and four? If they all right, so East Carolina, all right, East, East Carolina and Marshall, all right, they cancel each other out. Right. right. Correct. All right. All right. So you're looking at seven and five because you're looking at seven and five. Assume they uh, beat o- ODU. Assuming they beat, o- and assuming you still have Trayvon Hill, and assuming that um, maybe potentially again, just depending on the way the game goes, you don't know how injuries. It's yeah, a it's well, a big hypothetical. Well, the thing but, is, they lost. Uh, I mean, Trayvon Hill and a healthy Ricky Walker, they're not going to make up. How many points did Pitt beat us by? Thirty. They're not going to make up thirty so, points. They're not going to make so up. So the games you want to look at are Notre Dame. Boston College. Mm-hmm. Those are the two that were close. Those were the two that were close. Those are the two where a healthy Ricky Walker and Trevon Hill being on the team could have made a difference. And I'm not sure they would have made a difference in Notre Dame. Notre Dame might have still won that game, but I think Boston College is the one you got. Yeah, Boston College is the one you got to look at. But the thing about Boston College is, you know, Tech went six straight drives in that game without picking up a first down. Yeah. And that was a good defensive performance overall. I mean, Boston College, they scored a late touchdown to ice the game, but that was late in the fourth quarter. Uh, 
So I think that might have been one of those games where maybe they score one fewer touchdown and then Tech loses by three loses instead of ten. Anyway. But yeah. the offense just wasn't wasn't good enough that day. I do think about the Notre Dame game and the 97-yard run for Dexter Williams. You know, if you got Hill on that right side, does that happen? Get some push well, what I think field. about is having Adonis Alexander on that side of the field at right cornerback instead of Caleb Farley. Yeah. And uh, maybe, I don't remember if that was a wide side of the field or a short side of the field play, but, you know, having Mook Reynolds out there, uh, you know, guys that are good tacklers, guys with experience, guys who've been there. And I also think about, too, it, it, the Notre Dame-Virginia Tech game. So if they play the East Carolina game and Tech comes out victorious and they're able to knock off Old Dominion, you're looking at a – because Virginia Tech was 13th in the country against Old Dominion. You're looking at a likely top-10 matchup in Lane Stadium fighting Irish in Virginia Tech. Yeah. But could it have been oh. any more hyped? Because it was already a Saturday uh, night game, right? Yeah. You know uh, I mean? Well, they would have gotten know. game day. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, just, I, I mean, I was writing weeks before that. I was like, "All right, you take care of business against Old Dominion and Duke, and that's it." Virginia Tech's in the top ten, maybe like number seven, number eight in the country when Notre Dame comes to town. So I was preaching that narrative ever since the end of the East Car- or at the end of the William and Mary game. Basically, you could you, you could kind of see things lining up, and then Old Dominion happened, and things didn't exactly. Uh, so, but I, I do think it could have been. That could have been a very hyped – I mean, it was already hyped because it's Notre Dame. But, I mean, that, that could have been insane if that had been two top ten teams. There's a saying that I love, and it's that something good comes from something bad. And despite the fact that Virginia Tech had a tough loss to Old Dominion, and guys you know, like Trayvon Hill left the team and um, injuries happen, something good that's come out of this is that a lot of young talent has gotten a lot of playing time throughout the season. And I think that the Hokies will see that pay off in years to come. And I think one guy who has just made the most, and I don't know if he's necessarily worked his way up due to injury or any of the reasons we just talked about, but Trey Turner has emerged as not just a freshman with talent to a real star on this offense right now. In your eyes, Will, what has he done in the last two weeks to kind of put himself into this star category and is that fair for the freshman at the moment i'm i've been pretty impressed now now chris they they recruited trey turner and daryl simmons at the same time Mm -hmm. was simmons the higher rated recruit no trey trey's was a top 150 type guy yeah florida state miami uh i mean a lot of the trey i'm not gonna say he could have played at alabama but maybe if he'd called alabama up and said Hey, I'd really like to play there. Saban would be like, oh, okay, if you really want to come here, sure. Uh, yeah. But I, uh, he was a major, major recruit. Uh, he and Dax Holyfield were the top two recruits of the of the class okay. last year. And Trey only weighs 187 pounds. That's what he's listed at, uh, 6'2", 187. Mm-hmm. I, you know, he's he's made some tough catches this year. Was it Duke he had a tough catch against them? Florida yeah. State, first one, mm-hmm. for first game of his career. Probably first ball du- Duke he had a tough catch, yeah. So you, you knew he had some receiving skills, but uh, for me, where I started to kind of look at him and go, wow, I thought he looked really fast in the Miami game. Mm-hmm. They did some jet sweeps with him, and, and he had, pardon the expression, he had some jets. I was like, oh, I knew he was a good receiver. I didn't know he was that fast. And we talk about Tech doesn't have anybody who can stretch the field. They have a bunch of uh, possession receivers um, and some slot guys. Okay, I don't know. You know, we'll see. Um, and just, <laughs> man... That, that, that catch against Virginia, that one-handed catch against Virginia, that's insane. That's highlight film stuff. So know? here's what I was trying to think about with that catch. In my memory, and I don't know if you think about this, I think that's one of the best catches I've ever seen from a Virginia Tech receiver, at least in my lifetime. 
I mean, that was one-handed, number one on SportsCenter. I mean, I don't know. Anybody watching on Facebook Live, can you tell us a better catch than that? I mean, that was unbelievable. Isaiah Ford uh, has has made a, made a catch or two like that, the one deep in the end zone against Boston, Boston College. College. I remember Josh Morian making a one-handed catch for Marcus Vick through traffic uh, against UVA in 2005 yeah. when Virginia Tech just went up there and hammered just, them. Yeah. yeah, Virginia Tech did a lot of good stuff that day. And, <laughs> yeah, they did. And I, I remember when I first realized Isaiah Ford could really catch was at UNC his freshman year when he laid out almost horizontal. Mm-hmm. And his toes were this far inside the sideline, and they reviewed that thing, and he had caught it. You know, But the, the catches that always impress people the most are the ones that guys make with one hand. Or where they reach around a guy, you, you right. started where they reach around a guy and they catch the ball against the guy's back or the guy's helmet. Um, man, it's up there. That that was a phenomenal catch. And when you consider that he was fighting off a, a junior, an All ACC, I guess Bryce Hall's a corner, mm-hmm. NFL and, draft prospect, and Hall basically was grabbing his off arm. That's yeah, just. And this is a kid who hasn't even really been in the weight room yet. That is just when you, when you take all of those factors into consideration. If he's a six five. 230-pound senior, that's one thing, but he's a 6'2", 187-pound true freshman making a catch like that. Uh, I think – well, I'm, I'm reading my scouting report on him right now from when he signed with Tech, and uh, I got a lot of it right and I got some of it wrong. I said I think he's got more long-term potential than any receiver on the team, which was accurate. I compared him to Isaiah Ford, which is accurate, but he is more athletic than Isaiah Ford. Yep. He can make – I mean, Ford was a great possession receiver, but – you know, Turner can make a man miss and take it the distance like he did against Georgia Tech. Uh, and, you, and you're going to run him on jet sweeps because he's fast, and you weren't going to do that with Isaiah Ford because he wasn't particularly fast. Uh, so I think he's very similar to Ford, except he's he's better. He's going to be better. I, I, I It's shocking, really, that he pl- played this year considering how raw he is. He did not play football as a freshman in high school. Uh, he didn't start playing until he was a sophomore. And then he missed about half of his senior season with a torn labrum. So he's not that experienced of a football player. He enrolled at Tech for spring practice, but his arm was in a sling, and he was only about 165 or 170 pounds. The guy put on about 20 pounds of muscle over the summer. So he's skinny now. He was really skinny in the spring. Um, So the point I'm trying to make here is you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg for him. He is a raw football player. Uh, who still has a lot of work to do from a strength standpoint. But, you know, once he adds another 10 or 15 pounds, I mean, he's going to be a dynamite player. I mean, Isaiah Ford was really good, but he was limited athletically. That's why he was a seventh-round pick and was, like, fifth from the bottom overall in that draft. Yeah, he did show well at the combine. Yeah, exactly. Turner will show well at the combine when that day comes, and he will be – I don't don't know. It's it's hard to project, but he's not going to be a seventh-round pick. I mean, I think he's going to be first three rounds one day i think he's that good uh so i think he's virginia tech's best receiver right now and that gap will grow in the off season so what you're saying is enjoy him for the next two years because you might not get a. I think i think he could be potentially that type of player yes keep in mind uh one isaiah ford we didn't shout this out last week but he was activated to the 53-man roster for the miami dolphins last week and uh you've got um Cam Phillips activated to the active roster right now in Buffalo. So yeah, who, and Cam has a catch on the year. I don't think Ford caught a pass in his first game. I know he was targeted once. Um, but, yeah, it's good to see. And they actually played each other this past week. It was Buffalo versus Miami. Yep. Yeah. So we've got an extra um, computer sitting over there on the other side of the room. And I turned it on yesterday for the first time in months. And it came up, 
and the the background on that computer is a picture of Cam Phillips and Isaiah Ford celebrating a touchdown in Lane Stadium. And on the left side of the picture is Wyatt Teller. And on the right <laughs> side of the picture is Calvin Klein. Calvin Klein. Calvin Klein. So interesting stuff. You know, you get a little bit of, oh, and, oh yeah. Not I that, that Calvin guy. Klein, by the way. <laughs> Do you remember Calvin Klein, the Virginia Tech tight end? The only so you have no idea who we're talking about. No, the, no, the brand. <laughs> the, the, I think of Back to the Future when uh, <laughs> he's referred to as Calvin Klein. His mom's Klein. calling him Calvin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, he, he was pretty good as a freshman, tight yeah. end, pretty good as a freshman. Got did, hurt. did he tear his knee up at the very end of the freshman year? I don't know if it was his knee. I know I saw him the next year, and he was in a full leg cast from wow. his hip all the way to his foot. So that leg never got right. So he caught a bunch of passes as a freshman, then never did anything. And again. it was it was amazing because he never played football until he was a senior in high school. Yeah. So what he did when he got to Virginia Tech was pretty incredible, and it was a really good coaching job by by the Virginia Tech staff. Yeah. Uh, Leffler found ways to get him involved, even though he had very limited experience playing football. Yeah. Which, speaking of Leffler, another let me, thing. Let me finish the story. Yeah, was, he, yeah. he, he transferred to Texas A&M. Yeah. Oh, did he really? Because Klein was in the Corps of Cadets. He was in the Corps yeah. of Cadets. And, uh, and, uh, and then transferred to Texas A&M. Yeah. And he never did anything down there either. No, I, th- I, think that, I think that leg really really set him back. But he could have been a good player if he'd been able to stay healthy. The legend of Calvin Klein and Back <laughs> to the Future. And the legend of Calvin Klein. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, speaking about Scott Leffler, I mean, you know, he's the head coach of uh, Bowling Green now. He was the Good offensive coordinator at Boston College. We meant to talk about it last week in the coaching carousel. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But congratulations to Leffler, somebody who meant a lot, I know, to Coach Beamer. Coach Foster speaks very highly of and uh, first-time head coach. The players I've been around also really liked Leffler. I know I'm not going to say the players or anything like that, but uh, – I was around a player a couple of years ago, and they were talking about everybody got inv- invitations to uh, to Logan Thomas's wedding, and one of the players was like, "Is Leffler coming?" Oh yeah, Leffler's coming. He's like, "I can't wait to go hang out with Leffler at this wedding." So oh, yeah. apparently, like Leffler's a really fun guy to be around. I always like Scott. Like from the dealings I had with him, you know, he would talk to the media off the record after press conferences and things like that, and tell you what was going on. Uh, gosh, I remember one time he told this story about when he took the offensive coordinator job at Auburn. And I guess it was the first spring practice. And he comes home from that first spring practice and tells his wife, stop unpacking. Only unpack the bare essentials and don't fall in love with the place because we're going to get fired at the end of the season because all our quarterbacks are terrible. <laughs> so uh, so that, that's, that's the type of stories he would tell you off the record. So I, I really like Leffler, yeah. like personally, and I think yeah. he's a good coach. I think he's a smart guy. Sometimes he can outthink himself a, a little bit. But uh, Oh, man, when he got in a rhythm, though. Oh, well, uh, God, his game plans against Ohio State were awesome. <laughs> the stuff of as, a, as a Michigan guy, man, he really wanted to beat Ohio State, and he coached great games against those guys. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so I think he's a pretty good hire for Bowling Green. His wife's a Bowling Green alum, so – I think uh, so. I hope it works out for him. But he's different, aren't? Aren't they used to uh, guys with more explosive offenses? Yeah, at, well, at well, you know the thing about yeah, yes, they are. I mean, they had Dino Babers, right? Urban Meyer, Urban right? Meyer, yeah, Clawson uh, 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 at uh, Wake Forest. Yep. Yeah, now, he's the, got a fast pace. Well, well, the thing is, though, I don't know how you judge Leffler because. You know, he was under Frank Beamer, and, and, you know, I've heard through the grapevine that Leffler doesn't really think he was allowed to run what he wanted to run at Virginia Tech because, you know, Beamer. And I, I think that was some – th- I think that was issues, quite frankly, with, with some with Brian Steinspring, some with Scott Leffler that Tech fans have with, have with those guys. I think your real issues should be with Frank Beamer mm-hmm. for, with some of that stuff. Um, 
And, you know, he was with Adazio in Boston College, and Adazio is an offensive-minded coach too. But those guys were both under Urban Meyer. So I don't really know exactly what kind of offense Scott wants to run himself. I guess we'll find out now, though. I do think he gets to run a lot of what he wanted this year, though, in Boston College when he had a healthy A.J. Dillon. I mean, he had four tight ends to work with in his offense that he likes to run. Mm -hmm. And to speak on how good of a guy he is, you know, one thing that I have the pleasure of doing after some football games is I drive uh, lays and burn up uh, from the – from the press box to Merriman to do the post-game interviews. And um, I was waiting for burn-up, and Leffler came down the elevator from the box, and he gave the, a huge hug to one of, the, um, one of the Virginia Tech staff workers who are working the elevators. Yeah. And, I mean, just such a – you could tell just the minute that I saw him, he's a really he's a friendly real guy. Dude. I, I'll tell you another Leffler story. All right, after the – 7-Eleven. Seven Eleven story. So, I'm, I'm, it's after the 2015 NC State game. I'm waiting on traffic downtown to clear out so I can I can drive. Yeah, what happened in that game? Uh, we won. It was okay. a Friday night game. Remember, it was a thunderstorm. Oh, the uh, Trayvon McMillian around. Yeah, the, uh, well, it was a thunderstorm before the game, and there was only like 10,000 people in the stadium for Inner Sandman because they wouldn't let anybody in the stadium because that thunderstorm came up. Wow, it was nuts. But uh, so after the game, Tech won. I'm in Seven Eleven buying a bottle of water or something like that, and he rolls into Seven Eleven. Uh, Says what's up to me, gives me a fist pound or whatever and all that. And I said, congratulations. And Leffler, he just kind of rolls in his eyes. And he's like, man, we had a much better game plan last week against Pitt. We just didn't execute. So here he is. They just beaten NC State. And he's still thinking about the Pitt game the week before. That's the type of guy he was. And he was going to, like, buy a bunch of beer to take back to the office and start watching film because that's how – that's, that's how a lot rolled, of man. that's how a lot of football coaches rolls to be to, to be quite honest with you. Uh, the so watching film. I'm not part. criticizing. Maybe the beer. But, part. But, but, but at this point, it's past midnight, so he gets up and he's he's got all this beer, and they won't sell it to him because it's <laughs> after midnight. So the poor poor guy had to walk back all the way to the Merriman Center with no beer. Uh, he, he's already signed his contract with Bowling Green. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, I, I love the story about Leffler. Congratulations to him again, former Tech offense coordinator, now the head coach. Uh, at Bowling Green. Here's what to come. If you're listening on SoundCloud, if you're still watching on Facebook, we've got your questions. We'll get to that in a little bit. We'll still be talking about Virginia Tech men's basketball. We'll shift our attention now from the Marshall game. Hokies make their 26th consecutive bowl, the longest active streak in the nation. And we're going to talk about Cincinnati in just a minute. Just a quick reminder that the Tech Sideline podcast is proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI in traffic defense firm. Now, uh, also for Christmas gifts, get your favorite TSL person some TSL gear, or if you like TSL, ask somebody to get you some TSL gear. Go to TechSideline.com, along the menu, select more, and I think the menu item is called Buy TSL Gear. A lot of great stuff in there. Yep, very cool of, stuff. Um, if we were smart, we'd have, we would have some examples. You know what? Right I'm here. wearing some of it right now, and, and the uh, logo is actually stitched in the proper direction, not reversed like this. Sorry about that. Oh, there you go. There you go. Working out a Tumblr. And I think uh, one of the cooler items, for those on Facebook Live, check that out. Yeah. Nice. Uh, for those listening, we've got a nice little tech sideline Yeti, but it's a mini Yeti. Yeah, it's like a stemless wine tumbler, I think is what it's called, or something yeah. like that. However, you can get a big Yeti too, which I also have, and mm-hmm. that is my go-to. Uh, that is my go-to Yeti. Now, to be accurate, it's not a Yeti brand, but it's something very similar. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. very similar to um, it. And honestly, it's it's a stemless wine tumbler, but you can drink out, out of it whatever you want. <laughs> you know, it's a free country. All right, um, so next next item. So we moved to Cincinnati, all right, So and, and it was a pretty much foregone conclusion before the game and after the game that if Tech were to make a bowl, the military bowl I, would be that I destination. So. They had officials at the Tech game, and 
At the Marshall game? At the Marshall game. Yeah. At the Tech Marshall game. And I was hearing at that point that, yeah, if Tech wins, it's going to be the military ball. Because if you're the military ball and you have a opportunity to take Virginia Tech, why wouldn't you? What is that? That stadium seats what? Thirty five thousand? Uh, probably or something, something like, like that. Probably. Yeah, I mean, I so, there, there's so many tech fans. Are, are in you that guys area. going? I am going to be in New Orleans. And I, you know, and, and since he's going to be out of town, it's going to be easier for me to work and run the site if I'm not at the game. Yeah. Instead of driving six or seven, seven hours each way, uh, and Tech has a home basketball game the next day that I'll have to cover, so I won't be there, unfortunately. Um, but we will have uh, Nathan Waters. Uh, used to work for the Fredericksburg Freelance Star, I believe. In the Lynchburg paper, mm-hmm. also very experienced covering tech, yeah. tech sports, and he's he's written some stuff for us this, this year. But he will be visiting in laws up in that area, so he's going to pop up and cover the game for us. And I'm pretty sure Russian Hokie will be there shooting pictures. Yeah, so. and so back to your point, it's a no brainer for the military bowl to take Virginia Tech. I, I think Monday, I think I saw on Twitter was the highest single day. Of ticket sales in military bowl history. Andy Bitter said that he didn't cite a source, so I don't know who he talked to or where he read that. I'll trust him. But I trust yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, th- I think it'll be a good crowd. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm actually going to go, and it's going to be my first time ever going to a Tech Bowl game. Is that so, right? Well, the, the, was it, well, I was hope you have better luck than I do at bowl games. Oh, it's funny. My dad has uh, a terrible streak of going to bowl games. Uh, that, so no, uh, he went to that Kansas Orange Bowl. He huh? went to that Kansas <laughs> Orange Bowl. Oh, gosh. Uh, the first bowl game I ever went to, the, the, the Tech won, was the Belk Bowl a few years ago. So, so I used to go on the road to these neutral site games and the bowl games and everything like that. And uh, we'd lose all of them that I went to. And finally, Fuente got here, beat West Virginia in a neutral site game. We won a bowl game. And I was there for both of them. So that's why that's probably one of the reasons that uh, I haven't been as down on Fuente as much this year. Because from a personal standpoint, <laughs> he's made my road trips a lot more fun because we're actually winning those games now. It, it's so funny because my dad will go into this long rant about how he can't go to bowl games anymore because he was at the Orange Bowl and he counts the big games like Boise State as his bowl games. Too. Sure, uh, yes. he was at soul Boise crushing State. Boise State. Love. He was at the USC. I mean, he he has had terrible luck with oh bowl games. Oh my gosh! So. I mean, I went to Georgia Chick Fil A Bowl. Went to the Kansas Orange Bowl, Florida State ACC Championship game. Ugh. He was at that. Uh, I mean, yep, I mean, yep. I mean uh, in that era, I mean that that that's enough to like make you stop traveling. So, so the 2005 ACC Championship game got off to a good start. I was tailgating. I met Jen Sturger. Oh yeah, you sure got, did. Got a picture yeah. with Jen, and uh, then it went downhill from there. Um, yeah. I'll tell you a Belk Bowl story. You're probably not familiar with this. I picked uh, Virginia Tech to win that game. Final score was 35-24. It right? was. I picked Virginia Tech to win that bowl game 35-24. And Arkansas got up to that big 24 to nothing lead. And I decided, well, I got to own it. So I went on Twitter and I said, I picked Virginia Tech to win 35-24. to Arkansas is winning 24 to nothing. You do the math. And sent it. And then when Virginia Tech scored to go up 35 you to 24. You called it. I quote tweeted it and said, just wanted to remind y'all that I tweeted <laughs> this. And I think that probably set a record for most retweets for me. That's fantastic. Um, let's look at this Cincinnati history between Tech and Cincinnati. Because Virginia Tech's only BCS Bowl win came in the 2009 Orange Bowl against Cincinnati. Right, the only BCS Bowl win. That was against the, uh, well, well, BCS te- Texas, Bowl. Well, Texas was the alliance. Yeah, uh, right, technically, so, right. It, but it was the BCS of its time. Yeah. So we'll call it a major bowl, top four bowl. 
So yeah. it's the second top four bowl that Tech won, but the only BCS. Quick trivia question. You know who the coach of that Cincinnati team was? I'm yeah, sure Brian, was Kelly. Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly. Yeah. Then Mr. Congeniality himself. Then Virginia Tech plays Cincinnati in 2012 at Landover Field, and they lose a tough one to the Bearcats. And then in 2015, the Hokies knock off Cincinnati with Shane Beamer as the interim head coach. So, so you know what blows me away about that 2012 loss? That hideous touchdown pass that Tech gave up at the end to lose the game. Do you know who was covering on that play? Yeah, Kyle Fuller. Kyle Fuller. Yeah. Come on, Kyle. You're uh, a great player, man. Yeah. yeah man, the guy's going to go to the Pro Bowl this year. What is he, second in the NFL in interceptions? <laughs> yeah, and, he's, 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 and then he's giving up touchdown passes to Munchie Legault, who's a backup quarterback for Cincinnati. Oh. Yeah. That's yeah. Sometimes that's just Virginia Tech football summed up into a – and it's nice, as you right said, there. that the streak of games at FedEx Field was broken with West Virginia last year. But, it was. But listen, this Cincinnati team, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, they were on college game day. It was it was the the primetime matchup oh, of Central Florida yeah. in Cincinnati. Luke Fickle, people will remember he was the interim coach between Jim Dressel and Urban Meyer. Yep. And he was the co-defensive coordinator under Meyer until last year. He's in his second season at Cincinnati. And for a lot of Tech fans, you would you you'd think that Cincinnati was is a pretty good non-power five team, but after that game in 2015, Cincinnati went in a real rough stretch of not making a bowl. And Luke Fickle has taken the Bearcats to a 10 and two record. He's brought them back. I think this is going to be a great matchup, and I think it's one of the best Cincinnati teams in the last yeah. couple of years for some. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good matchup. I remember picking Cincinnati to beat Virginia Tech in the last military bowl. Yeah. And you know that was probably. I think that was a reasonable pick at the time. Well, they were nine and three, and Tech was six and six. Yeah. Um, I don't know who I'm going to pick this year. I need to study Cincinnati more. I do know this. You know, obviously they lost to, to UCF, who went undefeated, but their record, their their opponent's record, if you throw out UCF, was something like, I don't know, fifty three and. 77 or something like that yeah. uh, so you know the, similar similar deal they're, they're like marshall. a better marshall marshall had a good defense but it wasn't against good offense right right now right. don't get me wrong i was impressed impressed with uh some of marshall's players i thought they were physical i they thought were. Their, their they open, tackled open well. field tackling yeah. was really good yeah you could tell they were a bunch of seniors yep. so i want to run through their schedule for tech fans that aren't familiar with cincinnati at one point they were ranked in the top 25 they began mm-hmm. the season Eight and zero. They started the season with a twenty six seventeen win at UCLA. So they went oh, everybody the beat UCLA this year. That's fair. That is very true. Uh, and then their first loss when they were ranked was October twentieth. They lost twenty four to seventeen in overtime to Temple at Lincoln Financial. Now, Temple Field. had a good year, right? They did. I think they yeah. went seven and five, eight and four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a good year. Uh, and then, I mean, they, they, honestly, they really rolled through the American part of their schedule. So their two losses. The Temple in overtime, and then a 38-13 loss at number 11 UCF with a healthy McKenzie Milton how many, in at quarterback. How many teams with uh, a winning record did they beat? Any idea? Well, the te- here are the teams that they beat. I'll, I'll throw them out for you. So at UCLA. I know they went 3-9. and nine. At Miami of Ohio. Uh, Alabama A&M. Nope. <laughs> Ohio. At UConn. Tulane. Nope. <laughs> at SMU. Maybe SMU had a winning record. They beat them in overtime 26-20 on the road, which uh, I believe uh, Bill Roth might have called that game for ESPN. I believe he did. I know he called a Cincinnati game this year, and I think that was it. And yeah. then they beat Navy 42-0, and Navy's having a really down year. They are not in a bowl. And then uh, I, I would say, honestly, they beat ECU 56-6, and then I think their best win they have besides UCLA 
would probably be South Florida, who went seven and five, but I believe started the year six and zero. Oh. That's Charlie Strong coaching USF. Yeah, yeah. They beat them thirty five twenty three at home. So not the best. I mean, you would think and SMU at, went five and seven, so they didn't have a winning record. So they beat one team probably with a winning record. So at UCLA, you'd think would be a good win, but it really isn't. They had a really. I think they won only two or three games, three games in Chip three Kelly's first year. So you look at this team; they're ten and two. Yes. And the Americans probably the next best non-power five sure. conference, yeah. but they don't have that great of out-of-conference schedule. They don't. And uh, so when when you look at them statistically, and uh, so when I do my game preview and I, I put in the S and P Plus rankings, I will I'll do it just like I did for the Marshall game. I said, okay, here here are their rankings, but let's take this with a grain of salt. Here are the teams they played, and here are their rankings. Um, so whether you're looking at advanced stats, whether you're looking at regular stats. Sometimes they don't tell the whole story because of the level of competition you face. Cincinnati's a 10-2 and two football team. How, not that the ACC is a great league or anything, but how would that have translated had they played an ACC schedule rather than an AAC schedule? I don't know. Are they 7-5 and five instead? I don't know. I, I think it's a pretty even matchup, to be honest with you. Well, you do that, and then you also look at the matchups. Like The thing about Marshall was you knew Marshall had highly rated defense. It came against not a lot of great offenses. You knew their offense wasn't anything to write home about. Um, and so you learn some stuff about their defense, about who they went up against, and then you look, how does Marshall match up with Virginia Tech? And there was some concern Virginia Tech's offense might might struggle a little bit yeah. against what might be a good defense. And then Ryan Willis goes out and has his best game of the year. You know, so it's all about what were their matchups in the past and how do they match up with Virginia Tech. So once you start reviewing that stuff, you know, if you find out that they've got – Two uh, senior defensive tackles who are NFL prospects. They've got one great defensive tackle. Yeah, that's uh, okay. That's a little worrisome. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, they've got a defensive end who actually I think is a good player, and he started on the Dan River defense with all the Edmonds brothers. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, you know, we do have a lot of questions actually here on our Facebook Live. People chiming in. Actually, since the beginning of the podcast, the majority of the questions have been about this game. And Daniel Gunter. Uh, he wants to know what are Cincinnati's weaknesses when you look at the Bearcats. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't had, looked at them yet. I haven't done his research yet, man. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so I haven't had a chance to do the research. Really? So, uh, Daniel, hold on to that question. We yeah. need to get Bo Roth in here. I mean, if he worked one of their games. Yeah, he's seen them play. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, we absolutely. We'd love to get Bill uh, on here. Again, You. this matchup um, with the Bearcats on the road, it looks like Virginia Tech's going to travel extremely well. We just talked about it with the ticket sales. Yeah. Uh, and again, I just want to emphasize too when you and when you look at the potential bowls. I know you know the Belk Bowl would have been fun, obviously a couple of years ago. But I think that with a six and six record, I mean, there was a chance Virginia Tech was going to Detroit. I mean, this really worked out well. It We're really Nation. worked out well. I mean, seriously, for a six and six record, I don't think you could have asked for anything better for Virginia Tech. How many bowl tickets do you think? Tech fans would have bought to Detroit. Well, the, the usual but, core of three or 4,000 people that travels to every road game would go. Would go, and, and that's that'd it. Be it. And that's yeah. it. Um, maybe a few Tech fans that happen to be living in Detroit <laughs> right. you, you know, would go. But yeah, nobody wants to go to Detroit in December. Right. Nobody, you know. You had me at nobody wants to go to Detroit. That's true. Also <laughs> true. Um, so, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it worked out well. I think it worked out well for Tech. I think it worked out well for the Military Bowl also. I would have preferred to play Temple probably. Just from a pure, well, I look at Temple and they're not ten and two, but I haven't looked at the matchup, so I really don't know. Yeah, but I, I will tell you that Temple has played a much tougher schedule than Cincinnati. Have they? I mean, yeah. I, I think I think out of I think if you put the two together, 
you know, Temple, if they had their Cincinnati schedule, they could have very well gone ten and two with that right. schedule, I think. Right. Even though they're both in the American. Right. So uh so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a break. We're not gonna make predictions because we've got three weeks yeah. until and Gotta we'll have another research. podcast in there. So uh but again, Virginia Tech, Cincinnati Military Bowl, twelve o'clock kick on New Year's Eve. And I'm sure it'll be televised by ESPN. 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 Yep. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, tech sideline commercial, excuse me, a Fisher Law Firm commercial. But when we come back, we're going to talk about Virginia Tech men's basketball. You're listening to the Tech Sideline podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Our thanks to the Fisher Law Firm for being the official podcast partner of the Tech, Tech Sideline podcast. Again, our thanks to Jonathan Fisher, a proud Virginia Tech alumnus, for all that he does for the university and for Tech Sideline. Great guy, and we're happy to have him aboard here at Tech Sideline. Big time sponsor, not just of TSL, but of Virginia Tech Athletics in general. If you look on the uh, Hokie Vision during the games, you'll see the Fisher Law Firm drive summary. And they probably do some stuff for basketball, too, that I haven't seen yet because I have not. Well, I went to uh, I went to the Central Connecticut State game. Nice segue, huh? <laughs> yeah, fantastic segue. So we talked last week about the Virginia Tech loss to Penn State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge in a game where Virginia Tech just was not themselves. And they really responded well with a big bounce-back win against Central Connecticut State on Saturday. I, I mean, they were playing on selfish basketball, passing extremely well. They set a program record for most three-pointers made with 18, which broke a record of 17. 17 set against Louisville two Louisville years ago. On the road. So when you look at Central Connecticut State, we'll get to VMI in a minute. Chris, I thought that was an extremely, again, even though it's against a team from the Northeastern Conference, it's a great bounce-back win. Let me throw this out there that I did not see the game yeah okay I uh he was working that I was I, I worked I went home after the football game and edited Corey's game recap and then I started working on my own column so that's the first basketball game I have not seen in a long time the first home game I haven't seen in person since I don't know I, I don't I don't know when to be so I did see it um, the box score looked good though I'll say that well and, and it looked it passed the eye test you know and and when I was a student Virginia Tech was really really good Del Curry uh, Keith Colbert, Bobby Beecher, the, the Alan Perry Young, um, and you know they used to they used to go out and hammer teams like Central Connecticut State. What was it, ninety four to forty? Yeah, you know something like that. And and you what you were looking at was good basketball. It wasn't just a team that was overmatched. And in this case, there's one play that they moved the ball really well. They assisted on an insanely high percentage of, of field goals. And there was one play in particular where. There must have been five guys that made the extra pass. There were five mm-hmm. guys the ball went through who could have shot it, and they made the extra pass, and it ended up in a three-pointer, I think, by Ty Outlaw, which he made. And the fans really appreciated that. It wasn't a dunk. It wasn't a fast break. It was just good ball movement in the half court, and it got a big hand. Um, there were some nice uh, nice dunks in the game, good ball movement. You know, again, uh, sharing the ball and uh, – up in the stands, we just had a good old time watching that. It was really well played. And this is not a comment on the Central Connecticut State game, but on Virginia Tech basketball in general. 
this is the most entertaining Virginia Tech sports product as far as men's basketball or football goes since, I don't know, when's the last time Virginia Tech football had a good offense and a good defense at the same time? Mm. 2011? Yeah. So it's the best product that Virginia Tech has put on the field or on the court since at least 2011. Yeah. It's absolutely the most entertaining brand. Uh, it's the best. It's the most entertaining brand of basketball I've ever seen at Virginia Tech. I mean, oh my God! Anybody that goes back to those old Atlantic Ten games remembers the the fifty four versus 44-43 versus Temple games against uh, their two three zone forty seven forty five against George Washington. Oh my gosh! I they, that it, it was it, they were just, it, it was brutal to watch. Even when Tech won back then, it was just awful to watch. Um, this is actually one of the most entertaining brands of basketball in the entire country. You can turn on. Virginia Tech basketball on any given night and be just as entertained as if you were watching North Carolina. I mean, the brand of basketball is that entertaining. So, if you're going to watch, you need to watch this. If you're a Tech fan, you need to watch this team for the rest of the year because there's a lot of seniors. There's a lot They're of They're going to lose a lot of guys. At the end of right. The year. right. Yeah. It's going to take a while to be this good again because they're going to have to rebuild. I have another piece of advice for you, and this is advice that I personally am taking. Uh, I don't remember at what moment I came to this realization, but yeah, they got one guy over 6'8", Kerry Blackshear. And yes, Kerry, probably every other game, commits some silly fouls 25, 30 feet from the basket, <laughs> winds up on the bench. And yes, uh, Virginia Tech has not signed any guys over 6'8", in the latest recruiting class. They let will. it go, just let it go. If you're going to continue to focus on the lack of post players and Kerry Blackshear getting in trouble, you're going to miss enjoying a lot of good basketball. Yeah, so that I, I just had this realization, like, man, let it go. This is a good team. They're fun to watch, even without Chris Clark, who we hope comes back. And, no, we don't know anything about that. But just let it go and enjoy it. Yeah. And it does bring up an interesting point because if you look on a lot of the message boards, fans want to know why will Buzz Williams not recruit? A big center. What is I don't the, know why, and it's not going to happen. Well, he, so let it go. He's tried. He's tried. He has. They're just not coming. And they. And I want to point out there was a five-star center out of Richmond, Armando Baycott. So uh, Buzz recruited really it, hard. It Buzz recruited extremely hard. And Tech finished second or third. And I think my really. answer to those fans who want that center is: you look at the product that Virginia Tech's putting out there; it's working. It is working. It ain't. If it ain't this, broke, don't fix it. If Virginia it, Tech you know? goes to the NCAA tournament this year, it'll be the first time in school history that they've gone to the NCAA tournament three times three in a row. Times. So yes, let it go and, and enjoy what you're seeing. And I know fans I, will say that you know, you know, I, well, Tech's getting out rebound on the glass, but is Virginia Tech shooting more threes I, and making more threes? Are they assist, are they getting out in transition? It's really hard for bigger teams to defend Virginia Tech because Tech yeah. is way quicker than they are. Exactly. Um. So so it go it cuts both ways, and in the end, Virginia Tech's winning a lot of basketball games and they're ranked fifteenth in the country. I mean, enjoy it, embrace it. Uh, I, I remember when I was in school, and Virginia Tech had a lot of big guys when I was in school. They had Carlton Carter. They had Damari Tompkins. They had Terry Taylor. They had a lot of prototypical big guys, and they stunk. They were awful. <laughs> yeah. They were a terrible basketball team. Um, I, Virginia Tech has played its best basketball, whether it's Seth Greenberg's coaching him or whether it's been uh, Buzz Williams, when they've had a smaller lineup, when they've had smaller players. Um, I mean, I remember when – you know, Bryant Matthews was, was was your power forward, and he was like 6'6", 250. 6'7", maybe. Listed at 6'7", probably 6'6". Right. Six, six. Uh, you know, Coleman Collins was a center. He was 6'8", 225. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not like Virginia Tech is historically throwing out awesome seven-footers. This goes back like to when I was yeah. in school. No, it's, it's more – it's it's more pronounced now because yeah. you've got one guy on the team over 6'6", six, six, and there's no true backup center. But 
they're entertaining to watch, yeah. man. And, and, and you look at basketball as a whole, too. You look at the NBA, the best team, the Golden State Warriors, they don't have a center. I mean, yeah. their best lineup is when Draymond Green is the five. Right. Which is the and equivalent. And how old is Draymond Green? Uh, six, seven, six, eight. Right. And, six, and, nine. And, and, right. And on the college level, that's like six, six, yeah. six, five. And also, Blackshear is listed at six, ten. Right. By the way. So, listen, I, I, I think the Virginia Tech, the product they're putting out there, extremely fun, as you said. It's working. And just because they, you look at, just because there's parts that, might not be going if they get out rebounded by Purdue. Well, what are they doing to counter that? And that outweighs, I think, what you would have with well, a seven foot turnovers. Center. Yeah. So Chris has written. I've, this. I've written, keep, keep writing this. The, the the other team is going to uh, on the aggregate is going to out rebound Virginia Tech and get extra position possessions by doing Correct. that. So how do you uh, counter? You, you counter that? it by having a big advantage in turnovers. And Virginia Tech has been able to do that for the most part. The one game they lost against Penn State, they did not do that. You know, against uh, Purdue, I believe they were plus – I think they were minus six in offensive rebounds, but they were plus five in turnovers. So that came out to an aggregate of minus one in, in total possessions. But that's pretty much breaking even. If you're minus one, that's fine. You can overcome that. If you, and if you execute what you do better than they execute what they do, you're going to win the ball game. And um, the difference in that game was who was Purdue's best player? What's that guy's name? Carson Edwards. Carson Edwards. Carson Edwards didn't play that great. You know, I thought he forced some things and missed yeah, some I thought, shots. I, I and, thought he was kind of selfish. Well, in, in, Virginia, in the first half he did, but the Virginia Tech made halftime adjustments. And they really shut him down in the second half. He took terrible shots. Mm-hmm. And so, Nikhil Alexander-Walker played a great game, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. He, he did. He led all scorers. And to your point about the turnovers, so just on Saturday, Virginia Tech against Central Connecticut State. They turned the ball over the Hokies nine times. Central Connecticut State got three points off turnovers. Right. The Hokies forced Central Connecticut State into 17 turnovers, mm-hmm. and they scored 23 points yeah, ex- exactly. off their turnovers. Exactly. So I, I think the magic number for Virginia Tech turnovers is probably nine or ten. If it's more than that, you got trouble. Yeah, uh, that's probably right. Um, I would have to look at the numbers, go back to last year, and look at the games we've won and lost and things like that. I think that's been the trend I, so far this year, as long as they keep it around ten or yeah, less. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think they had nine against Purdue, nine or ten against Purdue. And, and didn't they, they have won. about 15 against Penn 15 State? 15 against Penn State. There you lost. Go. If right. you turn it over right. nine times, you win that game. Right, exactly right. And they forced 16 Penn State turnovers, but they were only plus one in the turnover margin, and they really need to be around plus five or so in turnover margin because they're going to be around minus five in offensive rebound margin most Mm -hmm. likely. And I will say this, which kind of segues into this question by Jeff Hodge, when you get somebody who's got some length back in Landers Nolly, he will be someone who could contribute on the boards. Which, I would think so, theoretically. It, and the reason I say that, because Nikhil Alexander-Walker going into Central Connecticut State actually led Virginia Tech in rebounds. Right. He's, he's gotten much better at rebounding. So you think with Nolly, who's similar, a little bit taller, I believe, than Nikhil, mm-hmm. he's We're someone who's going to have to contribute on the class. At he, some, I'm not saying six, seven, eight boards, yeah. but he can come up with a board. I think I would encourage people to temper their expectations on Nolly. By the way, Jeff, it's been a long time. Thanks yeah, for, uh, Jeff goes way <laughs> back. Oh, does he? Way back. Good to hear from yeah, thanks, for, thanks for watching, Jeff. Well, Jeff does want to know, as we saw, and, and I didn't get an exact answer. I know you were there last night. Um, what, you know, do we have any update on Landers Nolly? No, no. We're not going to <laughs> until he's either cleared or not cleared. Man. So I'm not even worried about it at this and, point. And at this point, I'm more wondering what when, when the point is where they decide to rest. Yeah, that's him. and that's what we talked about last you, week. You, you can't just throw him into the fire against in the ACC if he's never played before, in my opinion. 
And um, is he is he even allowed to practice? Uh, he can practice. Okay, uh, I'm sure he can practice. All uh, right, so, but still, yeah, nothing, uh, nothing. Do you think? Do you, you think we will hear something before the uh, year is over? I mean, I it's. Just, I mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, I'll ask Buzz about it in those post Christmas games between between like now Maryland and Eastern and Shore and something like yeah. that. So we'll, we'll find out. But I know this. I mean, if it's if it's a uh, if it's an NCAA clearinghouse issue. I mean, you would think they got to make a decision in the next ten or days or so because look, everybody everybody goes home. Nobody works in the United States during the holidays. If you go from December fifteenth to January first, nobody works, right? Pretty much, I do, but nobody else does. And people uh, in retail do. People, people in retail, retail do, but everybody out. else just shuts it down. The NCAA is going to shut down around Christmas, you know. So this thing needs to get resolved soon, or else everybody at the clearinghouse is going to go home for the holidays and not going to be coming back till after after New Year's. Um, sorry, Jeff. It's <laughs> <laughs> not uh, a positive answer. All right, all right. Temper your expectations on Nolly. I would encourage all Tech fans. Yeah, to he, he was the N- highest. Nolly is the backup quarterback of Virginia Tech basketball. Yes. Yeah, they, exactly. Everybody thinks if he plays, he's right. going to transform the Chill team. out. What I was told by somebody, by an excellent scout, back in practice, or uh, back during the preseason, is that right now the only thing Nolly can do is shoot the ball. Um, he's, he's, he doesn't really give you much from a rebounding standpoint. I know he's 6'7", but he's a shooting guard at heart. You know, uh, he, you know he's like Carlos Dixon size. He's going to be Carlos Dixon until Carlos Dixon was a senior and Seth Greenberg got here and turned him into a good overall basketball yeah. player. But right now, he's Carlos Dixon as a young player. He's just a shooter. He's not going to help you in, in a lot of the other facets of the game right now, So is what I've been told. So to tell Tech fans, he is not – at the same level as Nikhil Alexander-Walker was coming into Tech. No, 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 no. Nikhil Alexander-Walker was always considered a possible one-and-done guy. I mean, Landers Nolly is maybe like the 10th highest-rated basketball recruit in Tech history, maybe. Uh, Which, But, I mean, he's a bottom half of the top 100 guy. So he's not as highly ranked as Ahmed Hill or Chris Clark or – or you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker, or, or, or you know, people like that, or or Dorian Finney Smith. Who was that dude uh, from the state of Virginia who flamed out? He could only Marquise he, Cook. Yeah, Marquise Cook. Yep. So the, the Michael Vick of Virginia Tech basketball is what Seth Greenberg told him he was going to be. Oh my goodness! Well, at least he signed him. <laughs> got one, then you found out he could only he, go to the hole with he, his right he hand. Got one bad year out of him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that'll wrap up the men's basketball portion of the podcast. We'll close with our questions. I know we've got a lot of patient people who are on. Uh, waiting to have their questions answered. So, so we're at an hour and five, so let's do this rapid fire. Rapid yeah. fire. Okay, we'll Which start with a- our first one. We'll start with James Copeland. Um, he wants to know, do you think there's a delay in getting the calls from Bud to the field like Brandon Patterson mentioned in his article? Yeah, that, that's – I read that in Brandon's article too. And, yes, it's it's that could be it. That, that, when you look at the inexperienced tech has at linebacker, and linebackers are the guys who make the call on the field and everything like that. And then that call has to come – from the booth to the sideline, and then it has to get relayed in. And in the past, you know, it's Bud right there on the sideline, and, and he's making the call himself, and he's doing the signals himself, right? So, But now there's an extra middleman. And Bud has been in the booth every game for as long as I – excuse me, <laughs> on the sideline every game as far as I can remember. Now all of a sudden he goes to the booth for three straight games. I mean, yeah, that's different. So I definitely think that has something to do with it. Ben Chapman asks, with the hurry-up offense, given the state of our defense, it looks like they were repeat. There were repeated game moments where we had the lead when the offense needed to shift to more clock management 
and not snap the not snap the ball continuously with 20 or so seconds. Thoughts? You know, I think it's important to stay in a rhythm. Um, I think the longer, you know, if you if you run that clock down to three seconds, I mean, the you know the defenders can pretty much time you with the time the snap up at that point. So I think you have to strike a proper balance. Okay, Daniel Gunter wants to know, both of you, what do you see as the biggest need for recruiting this year? <laughs> uh, defensive tackle. That's called a layup. Defensive tackle. Yeah. Um, what's what's second after that, though? Eh. I, pers- I personally would say corner. Yep. And we will end with this one from Thomas Chavez. Are you confident going into Cincinnati? Uh, fairly confident. Uh, I'm probably about as confident as a fan – of a six and six team could be going up against a ten and two team. It's a good way to put it. I would agree with that. And again, we'll do more analysis later. But you know, we just took a quick look at their schedule, and they they didn't really have many impressive wins, if any. You right. know, so uh, and it, it's not like the stadium they're playing in is going to have sixty thousand tech fans in it. I think it's only about a thirty five thousand seat stadium. You'll have twenty five thousand, thirty thousand tech fans, maybe. But it will be a little bit of a road environment, I think, for Cincinnati. Um, sure you don't want to ask more? Uh, well, well, you know, here, here you go. I, I think Tech plays better when there's like 30,000 people in the stands. This is true. They played great against Duke. They played great against Marshall. Uh, you know, but when they get in, in front of 65,000 people, when they got a big home field advantage, they play awful a, a lot of times. So uh, I, I'm good with the, with the way it is. And I'm not saying I'm going to pick Virginia Tech to beat Cincinnati, but – I. I might end up picking Cincinnati to win the game. I probably will. They're a ten and two football team, but I, but I feel fairly decent about it. Yeah. All right. You got any more there? We we do have a couple bit more actually. If we have a little bit of time, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Dan, Daniel, Daniel, we appreciate you. You have been rapid fire with some questions. I want to make sure we get them answered. I don't know if we're going to have an answer for this one, and it might be we haven't looked enough yet. But he'd also like to know what's the single biggest thing that Tech needs to look out for when they play Cincinnati. They've got a dual threat quarterback, and uh, I think those guys historically have been difficult for Virginia Tech to handle. And really, for anybody? Yeah. So they got an eleven hundred yard rusher, I believe, at running back, and a dual threat quarterback. I don't know. I don't think Virgi- I don't think anybody's hit Virginia Tech this year with a combination of dual threat quarterback and one thousand yard rusher. So it's that that combination of effectiveness effectiveness in the running game that worries me. So yeah, because when you go back to Boston College, what's their quarterback's name? Uh, AJ uh, AJ no AJ, AJ Dillon's, Dillon's a running I'm sorry. back. Uh, Brown? Yeah, Anthony Brown. Anthony, Anthony Brown. Brown. Anthony. Everybody kind of looks at him and thinks he's a running quarterback, but his his statistics were not that impressive. Right? Yeah, he can he can he can run. Um, I wouldn't call him like a scrambler or right. anything like that. Yeah. All right, and then our last one is from Chris. He says, Leffler was obviously well-liked. Any idea how the current players feel in a relationship about uh, Brad Cornelson? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, Everything's like more closed off now than, than it used to be, so it's hard to tell. Uh, as far as I can tell, can tell the, the player-coach relationships on this team are completely normal. Um, I wouldn't say they're like exceptional, and I don't think they're awful either. Uh, I think yeah. they're just normal. It's your normal college football team. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about 85 scholarship players and 20 walk-ons, and that's 105 guys. Everybody's going to have different opinions. Gonna... I mean, I remember when I was in high school, some people liked our coach, some people didn't. And that's just the way it's going to be on, on any team. When you put that many people together, some people are going to get along and some people aren't. If you're getting playing time, you're more likely to like the coach than if you're not getting <laughs> playing right. time. <laughs> Hundred percent right, and I can't believe we are already about. <clears throat> excuse me, hundred. 
hour and time good, for good way to end the podcast so listen we haven't done a song lyric in a long time and i forgot to put this in my twitter bio so i'll give it to you verbally you ever you ever hear this one evan probably not because it's from the 70s um, we're in december and i still haven't gotten one so i'm ready all right my daddy said son you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod lincoln it sounds like a country song it does sort of sound like a country song i, uh, I don't know and unfortunately, we had to do our uh, we had to do our podcast early this morning, so I couldn't do my research. It is a song called "Hot Rod Lincoln" from the seventies, early seventies, because I remember listening to it as a kid when we lived in Radford. And um, so, any comments coming in <laughs> about "Hot Rod Lincoln"? No, I've never heard that song. I have not either. You got to listen to that song. Um, it's it's done by a group called Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen. One hit wonder. Okay. Um, and I, I, this is what I didn't have the chance to do the research on is what is their history? I, I think they may actually be some military guys. I'm not sure, though. I may be mixing it up with the Ballad of the Green Beret. So anyway, pull that up on YouTube and listen to it. It's a, uh, it's a song about a guy who just drives a hot rod Lincoln too fast. And um, some of the lyrics are really catchy. It's, I've always thought it's a really catchy song, and I'm sure they're – some people out there that, that recognize it. We'll be ready to lead off the podcast with that next week. All right, we'll close. Uh, what's on TSL this week? What we got? Well, besides this podcast, I believe I will do a basketball column uh, this afternoon as well. And then a Friday Q&A. Had a breakdown earlier in the week of all the recruits Virginia Tech are evaluating right now and who they have offered or might offer, which I, it's a pretty good read. I think. It was a massive breakdown. It was a massive read. It took I, me two days to write it. I think, I think he listed uh, 19 recruits a lot of juco's in there too i tell you what an an appreciation for both of you and everybody on tsl when you read an article it's not just this one page right i mean you want to get in depth i mean become a subscriber here's our plug too it's a a great christmas gift would be to give somebody a subscription to tech sideline i mean you're you're, everybody's articles are just so long so in depth so good so that's the other thing i need to plug is we do have a gift subscription function up and running I need to uh, test it one more time and put it on the site and make it easily accessible to everybody. So keep an eye out for that. And for the first time ever, if you buy a gift subscription for someone else, we will give you three months of TSL Pass. If you already have a subscription, we'll extend yours by three months, and we'll do it for every gift sub that you buy. So if you want to buy four gift subs and get a free year for yourself, then great, do that. Uh, We've never done that before. But this year we're going to do it and uh, see how that goes. It's a great time of the year. Check out our uh, check out all the great items we have for sale under our uh, Tech Sideline store. Get a pass. It's a great time to become a part of uh, Tech Sideline. All right, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. For our founder, Will Stewart, for our managing editor, Chris Coleman, I'm Evan Hughes saying so long and have a great week, Virginia Tech fans.